0: You are listening to the Real Faith Stories Podcast interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Jay, welcome to Real Faith Stories. So good to have you on the program today. Thanks for having me, Brian. You've written a powerful book called Five Bold Choices. In order to bring context to that, let's talk about the overwhelming circumstances that led you to faith in Jesus Christ and ultimately your writing of this book.
1: Sure. I grew up in uh, Philadelphia, and I really didn't have a any kind of—I I grew up Catholic in name only, uh, so I really didn't have any foundation in any kind of faith. And you fast forward to January 3rd, 1998. I'm in my late 30s. And at this point, living in Minnesota, got married and was in Minnesota with my wife. And my parents had come into town over the holidays. And my dad and I went out to a hunt club on the 3rd of January and driving home uh, after the hunt club, we went to a bar and we drank too much. And I was driving home drunk. And I missed a turn, went down a hill, and I hit a train at 60 miles an hour. Oh, man. I don't remember, Brian, much about that, but what I do remember is waking up in a trauma center in Hennepin County, and I am a mess. I'm, I'm in pieces. I'm in a lot of pain. Uh, I look up, and I didn't even know what pain was because when I looked up, I could see my mom and I could see my, my wife, and I could see something was terribly wrong. And my mom leaned down to me and said, your dad didn't make it. And, um, I said, "What?" and she said, "Your dad didn't make it and i I can't describe it. you don't know what pain is until you hear something like that mm. and I just and I had no foundation in any kind of face i just I just just spiraled out of control, you know, and my wife you know was trying to help and and um I was just right I close my eyes and I would be tormented and thought hours went by, and maybe a couple of minutes went by and I got, a, I had a bunch of operations over the next few couple days and um, I was just in a really bad spot. My wife looked at my eyes later and told me, she, she goes, I looked at you, you were gone and you weren't coming back. Wow. And I had pastors and priests coming in and, and trying to help me. And cause my wife was trying to get people to help me and I was kicking them out going, Hey, I'm responsible for my dad's death. And, and so in amongst all this turmoil, my and my wife's not in the room a total stranger walks in the room who i don't know and he's using words like forgiveness and sinner and i said well i feel like i'm at the top of the sinner list because uh you know just you know drunk driving and killed my father and he goes you say this prayer with me and you'll receive forgiveness and i said a prayer that i admitted lord jesus was my savior uh, that I asked for forgiveness. I wanted to walk with him every day, and I asked him into my life right then, right now. Mm-hmm. And Brian, it was like, bam. It was like the Holy Spirit just came in and just connected to my soul, and it was like I exhaled that guilt. Mm. And then he left. And and I don't know how much time went by, but my wife came in later, and, and she goes, I saw a completely different person. I sat up in the bed, and I looked at her, and I said, Hey, hon, I just accepted Jesus in my life.
0: Oh, what was that like, Jay, when— he prayed with you you said that you felt like you exhaled all that guilt what else did you experience
1: it was physical Brian I mean it was it was it was like I could see again it was like going from the darkness to the light it was I could see again I could feel again I was still in a lot of pain It wasn't like that all went away but it was like I came out of the darkness and was in the light again and and, and I was filled with hope And you know, my wife was like you know she's she is, you're probably not going to walk again. You know, we got to go to jail. We got to, she had all these things. And I'm like, hey, it's going to be all right. And she's like, what do you mean it's going to be all right? I go, I don't know. I just feel like it's going to be all right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and the reality is the journey from there, it was arduous. It wasn't like everything, you know, like, <laughs> you know, as I tell other Christians, just because you become a Christian doesn't mean everything gets better. Sure. But I did deal with things with a newfound strength that I didn't have before. With a newfound foundation that i didn't have before so
0: what is it that happened next after the experience of receiving the lord
1: well i we went through a lot and you know eventually i was you know after a month i got out of the hospital i was in a wheelchair and i remember being in a wheelchair and i'm reading a letter from the state and it's saying we're we're prosecuting you for criminal vehicular homicide which is a four-year prison sentence oh my and i was like wow what's this mean to me now lord you know what, you know, give me my life back. And now you're going to take it from me again, because the you got to be careful about the six inches between your your ears, because the, this dialogue can be really detrimental. And here's how mine went. If I go to prison for four years, I lose my job, I lose my job, I lose my house, I lose my house, I lose my family. And all that wasn't true. But if you let that, if you dwell on that, you know, it can become self-fulfilling and and the choices you're making there are going to be even worse. You're already in a bad situation. You make it worse. Mm. The difference though, Brian, is, is at this point, and I was in a trial and that trial took uh, seven months. And by the way, I'm guilty. Not like I'm spinning this thing. I'm, I'm guilty. Mm-hmm. And so I finally go into the word and I go into the truth. And then for the first time I'm reading the Bible and it's, you know it's coming alive, and so I'm in. You know Philippians four verse six and seven says, "Don't worry about anything; instead, pray about everything." I'm like, Lord, hey, I am worried about everything. <laughs> I'm really worried, right? So, don't worry about anything; instead, pray about everything. If you do this, you experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. And I receive peace, and what I mean by peace is I could sleep, I could get up, I could go fight for my life, I could take action, I could you know try and keep my job, go meet my lawyers. And so what the difference was, is that I had given my life to Jesus in the hospital. It was this process where I realized I had to surrender my life.
0: That's a huge distinction.
1: It is, because I I still struggle. You might struggle with it, too. I still struggle trying to control my life.
0: Oh, sure. How do you counsel people when they ask you, okay, Jay, what's the difference between accepting Christ and surrendering? What does that look like?
1: Well, surrendering is hard <laughs> because we're all control freaks and I'm at the top of the list. And and it was it's weird when you say, I mean, I might've been more at peace in that out of control trial than I am sitting here right now. And the reason is, is I went all in on Christ and said, hey, Lord, it's all up to you. I'm giving it to you. I'm all in. And so my one of my challenges of living day to day is how do I surrender my life? It's a really fair question. How do I give it to God and not try to control it? Yeah, And I think that's a constant battle for for people, and it's certainly a constant battle for me. But I have experienced that peace when you can't describe any real reason why I should have been at peace when I was in a trial, going through a trial in which I was guilty. And the only thing to say is it's because of that power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is an incentive to try and surrender (laughs) versus trying to control But it is really being in the Word. It's really being all in. And at the top of the list is you got to give up on you.
0: What do you mean by that, give up on you?
1: Well, I get in the way. You know, when I was first reading the Bible, I was, you know, why is this word pride coming up all the time? You know, what's with pride? How come pride's all in the Bible? Well, he finds out it's at the top of my challenges. When it's about me, you know, then all sorts of bad things start to happen. When I make it about Christ and I prioritize him ahead of me, all good things start to happen for me, and so when I started to surrender my life, I had to realize I had to get me out of the way. And, and by the way, I, I say that easily. That's a hard thing to do, and it's a daily thing to do for me mm-hmm. uh, because I always try to, you know, put me in the, in the in the forefront. And when I do, all sorts of bad things happen. But this idea of getting me out of the way and pride, and once pride gets out of the way, then all the other sins will go along with it, and let me build up my character from a point of view of strength on what the Lord's saying, what the Lord has guided me to do.
0: You know, as you go through your day, you've spent time, you've sought the Lord, say, early in the morning, and you feel like you've won at that moment the surrender fight, then no doubt, as you've probably experienced, I have as well, as you go through the day, you start getting... These arrows coming into your mind, prideful thoughts, things come up. How do you deal with those when they hit you?
1: Well, I think the the first step is awareness. Uh, It's like any trigger. You know, you got to be aware that you just got hit with a dart because the unconscious walking through the afternoon is the dangerous part. Uh, and, And then once I'm aware of it, then what am I doing about it? Mm-hmm. You know, what methods am I doing about it? So it could be everything from, hey, hey Lord, just a quick prayer. I just got hit with a dart. You know, mm-hmm. Help me out here. To oh, this is a big temptation to sin. Maybe I need to call somebody. Maybe I need an accountability partner if it's really important. And and so I think the awareness, Brian, is the first step. And I say that because most of the time, if if Satan's trying to divide me or beat me, he's doing it with my unconscious behavior. My old habits, my old things I used to do. And so that awareness is the first step and key step that, hey, I just got hit with a dart. So understand that as you're going through the day, he's going to try and destroy you, and darts are coming your way.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like we should be praying that God would make us aware, because I think we live so much of our lives at an unconscious level.
1: Oh, very much so. Very much so. I think, I think when, I, when I say I got this, God, I think Satan goes, I got Jay right where I want him yeah why don't I send in, why don't I send in the 18 now and destroy him? right? Because the reality is I don't have it under control, you know, and I need God, and I want God every day, you know and it's a, it's a you know it's a weird thing, Brian, that I would say the easiest thing I ever did in my life was to accept Christ into my heart, and yet it's extremely hard to live with him every day, and the reason it's hard is because I get in the way, yeah and I need to get out of the way. You know, and and, and, it, and the thing that doesn't make any sense is when I get out of the way and I give it to him, I'm so much better off.
0: <laughs> when you were bringing that point up earlier, I just had this picture with respect to surrender of 100% surrender, 100% peace. And then we try to put our our pinky on the scale yeah. of our life. And then all of a sudden the peace just disappears, even if it's our pinky, so to speak.
1: Yeah, let alone when you jump on the scale. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we all, t-
0: <laughs> I just thought of an elephant on the scale.
1: <laughs> yeah, there it is, right there. That's yeah. right.
0: <laughs> Let's go back to one of the very important points in your book about not being defined by what's happened in your past. Let's talk about that a minute. Tell me how that affected you. That experience obviously was very dramatic, and you had an opportunity to literally walk the rest of your life defined by that experience. But how did you move out of that?
1: The direct answer to your question is, is it's about the choices I made and I determined I had choices. I had options. And at the top of the list was I did not want to be defined by my worst moment. Being de- I don't want to be defined as a convicted felon, although I am. Mm-hmm. I want to be defined as a Christian. I want to be defined as a father. I want to be defined as a husband. I want to be defined as a friend. And and when I got through the trial and I got back and my career took off, I was actually CEO of a company. I became CEO of a company. And I, and the book is I, there's a lot of CEOs who become convicts. I was actually a convict that became a CEO. And the reality was that is that when I ended up taking this company public and when I took the company public, there was a lot of attention on me. And there's a big document called an S1 document put together that describes the business and the executive team. And then the CEO is at the top of the list. And my first sentence was convicted felon. Wow. And I had to get in front of that. So I had to learn real quick. I'm not going to be defined by that sentence. I have choices to make. And I can't tell you, Brian, how many people said you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. And I said, I have no time to listen to you. I have choices to make because I have a choice that I can get up every day and determine what it is I'm going to strive for. Doesn't mean I'll get it, but I don't want to strive for it. Mm-hmm. And, and even though I became a CEO, what I was really striving for was Christian. What I was really striving for is to be a good husband. I was really striving for it. I had to be a father in and amongst this also being a business person. And the, most people, when, when I talk to a lot of people who are in a lot of trouble or you know, getting out of jail and such, a lot of times they don't have hope. And my issue, my story is really a story of hope and faith. It's about perseverance, but it's really about hope and faith. And that hope is is really about the choices you have. In Psalms 25, 4, 6, it says, Show me the path where I should walk, O Lord, lead me by your truth. You're the guy to save me. All day long I put my hope in you. And so when I put my hope in him, I, I make choices. I have ch- I have way more choices than you think, but I have the choices once they define me. I get all the I get all the benefits of that versus letting the outside world define who you
0: are. Mm-hmm. How do you steal yourself against the outside world trying to keep you defined by your past?
1: For me, I was moving so fast; it was relatively. It, it's easier. I, 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 I'm a person. I describe myself as having a real small rearview mirror and a big windshield. So I might have a more of a profile that allows me to do it. But the real answer is is for you whether you have that big windshield or not. Is what are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Why are you listening to certain people? Jesus isn't tearing you down. You know, if the people you're listening to, you know, that are t- either telling you lies or trying to hold you back, why are you listening to them? And then the counter is, well, who are you listening to? What friends are you listening to? Are you reading the truth? Are you letting God tell you who he is? He's forgiving you. Mm-hmm. And so what I, what I find with some people is they have trouble forgiving themselves. The most amazing thing is when I exhaled that guilt, I exhaled all that, all that guilt. I got forgiveness. I also got forgiveness from my family for the accident as well, but I got rid of that forgiveness. I mean, I mean, I I accepted that forgiveness and when I accepted that forgiveness, I could move on. And then it was about who do I want to be? Not that somebody else tell me who I was going to be.
0: Mm -hmm. How did things shift for you when you got back into the work environment? after this accident?
1: It was very interesting because I came back as a Christian. I was the same person, but I was a different person. And what I found is um, your actions speak way more than your words. And the, one of the places when I was working, they, there was a lot of customer behavior and and you know team behavior, and it had to do with going out at night and going to strip clubs and all that kind of stuff. And when I came back, I just didn't do it anymore. And it wasn't like I got up on a soapbox and told everybody and judged everybody for what they were doing. I just decided I wasn't doing it. And it was amazing to watch the behavior change of the organization and and the group. So it went from everybody going to less people going to within a year, you know, a couple of people sneaking out and going by themselves and the majority not doing it. And the reality was, it wasn't that I got up on a soapbox and started telling everybody or judging people. It was just more by my actions. Yeah. And my actions were speaking way louder than my words at that point.
0: What other things shifted for you?
1: From a leadership perspective, becoming a Christian added humility to me. And one of the reasons I think I had so much success is because I had a lot of followers. And I don't think I would have had those followers if I hadn't had the accident and become a Christian because I had a high level of arrogance. It was about me. And so when I added humility and it became about you, the employees and people I needed to do all the work or the people that got all the work, give all the credit to the people who are doing all the right stuff, by adding humility, by becoming a Christian, I added a leadership trait to me that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't gone through that.
0: Did that change the conversations you're having as well within the organization, the personal conversations?
1: Sure. First, it was amazing how many Christians were in the organization that were the silent majority is what I call them. <laughs> and I was saying, why aren't we speaking up a little bit more? You know, I didn't know you were a Christian. You were down the hall from me for the last five years. I didn't know you were a Christian. That's a shame, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with saying you're a Christian. You know, you're allowed to do that. Uh, so one was just, a, you know, bringing out an awareness of, of that. There was more of us than everybody thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then two was, was it was okay to have the dialogues. It was okay to have the discussions. Uh, I mean, you know you get it there's a lot of political correctness associated with corporate America, but the reality is there's nothing wrong with the behavior of a Christian
0: that's a great point as far as the the whole redefining yourself that's taking years to kind of move in the direction you want it, or was the clarity at such a place where it happened very quickly for you
1: well it it happens quickly I can say I want to be a Christian, I want to be a husband, I want to be a good father, I want to be a good friend. But to answer your question, that's a daily challenge mm-hmm. because, you know, you're right back to the darts. You're right back to my old behaviors, my old habits. And so I have to you know start the day in the, in the word and I have to fight all day long to not go back to those habits, not go back to, you know, to the being just about me. So I think if you want to define yourself, it's about character building and that character building takes discipline. It takes obedience. It, it takes perseverance. As you go through it. So as you're defining yourself, it's not like, oh, I just want to say something. I got to go out and do it every day. Yeah. And i got to be that person every day. And that usually takes a lot of effort. That takes camaraderie. That takes, you know, friendship. That takes accountability. It's usually the biggest mistake most men make is they try to do it solo. They just try to do it on their own. And I I would highly recommend uh getting a group, getting some people, getting a Bible study, getting some accountability from some trusted friends, because the isolation and solo method I found is uh, very detrimental and highly high at risk for you to be able to, to accomplish the journey you want to accomplish.
0: Sounds like that'd be one of your greatest pieces of advice.
1: It's great advice because I'm the one that starts with me. I, I won't make it again. I think when I go, I got this and I isolate myself, I think Satan goes, I got Jay right where I want. But once I put it into, I'm in the Word, I'm in Bible studies, I'm in fellowship, I have camaraderie, I have accountability. Now, all of a sudden, i got a whole bunch of tools to use for me to be the person that I want to be, to be the person that I'm striving to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but every day, that's, that's a challenge. It shouldn't be, but it is because of fallen nature and because of just who I am without Christ. But I want to go through the day with Christ.
0: Well, the, the word wouldn't say fight the good fight if there wasn't a fight to fight. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so let me ask you a few just kind of off the cuff personal questions here. What makes you angry? What makes anger well up inside of you now?
1: I think anger is one of those things that um, comes very naturally to me, unfortunately. And I could find myself getting angry real quickly. But it was about, it's about the awareness factor that I was talking about. That's one of the darts for me. And uh, so, what I realize is, if I'm getting angry, why? And then, right right behind it is usually pride. Somebody somebody is doing something to me. Are they really trying to screw me, or is that just me making you know a mountain out of a molehill? Right. Is you know is you know so for me, it's an awareness factor of what's really going on. There might be times to be righteously angry, but they're probably few and far between. Mm-hmm. Yet I can be angry every day. You know, I can't watch the news anymore because I don't need to be angry. (laughs) And uh, I watch the news, I walk away angry. And so uh, and I don't know what's justified there or not. So I I think for me, anger is an awareness factor of a darts that that can be thrown at me.
0: On the flip side, what makes you cry? What gets you emotional these days?
1: I just became a uh, first-time grandfather.
0: Congratulations.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. And I, you know, my daughter was pregnant, and I, I love her, and we're close. And you know, I got three kids, and you know, I was going through the process, and my wife was all, you know, I had to take her off the ceiling; she was so happy. But I just really wasn't thinking much about this, you know. Mm-hmm. And then this little guy came along, and I tell you, Brian, he's like rocking my world, man. I was <laughs> like, <laughs> so I, I would say the joy of and the blessings and understanding the realities of family is one of the few areas that will will move me because, I mean, it's not a given. And a lot of times we think it is. And it's a blessing. And when you get those plans with family, that's a blessing.
0: How important has clarity been in your life?
1: You know, it's extremely important. Um, I do a lot of coaching. I coach CEOs. And it's one of the landmines that hit CEOs. But I, I would say, if you were to say to me, besides the Lord, why was I so successful? I would tell you, it's clarity. And I've always been a big goal center. And i set goals and you know look at them every every three months. And what that does is provide clarity. What I find most people make a mistake of is they don't know what their North Star is. They don't know what they want to do. They don't know who they want to become. They don't know what their purpose is. And if you don't know that, then any path will lead you there. Mm. John Wooden, the famous coach from UCLA, said never confuse activity with achievement. And what I find is people are busy and they wear busy as a badge of honor. And the reality is I'm always asking, well, what are you really accomplishing? Are Are you going toward your goal? Because when I would look at my goals, I always would have to make adjustments. It's what I call doing activity assessment. What am I going to do more of? I've got to answer just as quickly. What am I going to do less of? What am I going to start doing? I have to answer, what am I going to stop doing? Because mistake most people will make is they just add on to their day or their week, and you run into the 168 rule, which is the amount of hours we have in a week. One of the few things that's actually fair, Brian, you don't get 169, and I get 167. Right. The reality is, so you have to fit in your time and say, if you don't know what you want or how you're prioritizing what you want to get, i.e. clarity, uh, then you'll just be busy.
0: How do you, Jay, invite in the Lord into your goal setting? What does that look like?
1: Well, (laughs) if I was to go back and show you my goals as I wrote them down, I started doing it in in the, uh, probably the mid eighties. And if I show you the goals before my accident, you would see number one career, you know, then activities and hobbies and all that. And if I was to show you the goals afterwards, you see number one is faith. Number two is family, you know, number three is friends, you know, um, and so it just changes your priorities around. And so you say, look, if I can keep my priorities right, then everything else will, will line up right. And it doesn't mean I I wasn't out of balance at times. You know, if work was now last, it didn't mean work at times. You know, took up most of most of my time and I got out of balance. But what reviewing goals would do is occasionally would say, hey Jay, you're out of balance. You know, you've been working too hard. You're putting too many hours in. You know, stop. Start spending more time at home. Make sure you're you know back into words and so what the constant thing about balance is you're always going to be out of balance so how do you know to make adjustments in order to make adjustments you got to have some sort of north star
0: basically you're guided by different principles now which speaks to the goal setting
1: oh yeah i mean if i wasn't then then i would be at the top of the jay coughlin hypocrite club which i've (laughs) been president of in the past by the
0: way i'm raising my hand the brian robinson hypocrite club i've been in that (laughs) one As you coach executives now, what are the top one or two issues that you tend to address that are quite common?
1: Well, with the CEOs, uh there's, you know, about four or five landmines that they're they all have and the context is different, but the biggest one, biggest two, one is clarity. You know, what's their prioritization? What do they really want? You know, not what are you stating to your friends, but what do you really want? Mm. And then how are you going to prioritize to get it? And what price are you willing to pay? Because it's a hard job. But the one that, that pops up all the time is what I call isolation. And, you know, that's a common phrase. It's lonely at the top. And so when you become the CEO, you're no longer on the executive team. You're leading the executive team. Uh, You might have a board or investors, they might be, you know, friends or they might be acquaintances, but they're also your boss. And the speed of the job just makes it hard to keep your spouse up to speed. So who do you talk to about what's really going on? Who do you really talk to about your concerns, your fears? And what I find is, you know, I I always tell them when I'm talking to them is who are you discussing this stuff with? You know, because if you're not, you are thinking about it. I know I was when I was doing it. Mm -hmm. Who you so if you don't have a way to get your fears out in the open, uh, of which you know decision making, not having enough information, whatever it might be, the list is really long. You can get into that spiral like I was when I was in the trial, you know, and it could be a lie, you know. If I go, like my trial, if I go to prison for four years and lose my job, I lose my job, I lose my house, I lose my wife. My wife was an asset for me. Why? Why did I pile on that? Right? Mm-hmm. Well, because I was in the six inches between my ears. And so, with CEOs and leaders, the reality is who are you talking to to allow you to get out what's really going? Because you've done this, Brian. I've done this. I had some thoughts in my head, and then I go, I'm having lunch with you, and I start to tell you. And before you even comment, I go, wow, this sounds ridiculous coming out of my mouth. <laughs> yes. So five seconds ago, it made sense in my brain, but now it doesn't. And part of it is that isolation, you've got to get out your concerns. You got to get out what's really going on. That's why I'm big on, as men, is not going through life isolated, because I think it's one of the flags that that constantly takes us down.
0: So true. What's one of the greatest pieces of advice over the years that you've received, Jay, that you continually go back to?
1: I don't know if it was advice, but I got involved with Luis Palau, and he's an evangelist of you know world-renowned, mainly in the Spanish-speaking countries, but also all over the world and, and did a festival with him in the in Minnesota in the Twin Cities. And he was somebody that knew prime ministers. He's knew somebody knew presidents. And what I loved about Luis is was his humility. Because, you know, when he was with me, we had fun together. He acted like I was the only person in the world that and, and I was like, here's this guy who's on the world stage, but his humility is something to be admired. And I always took that as as something I wanted to strive for to say that to me mattered because he could have come off arrogant. Now I don't think he has an arrogant bone in his body, but he certainly had a resume and and so forth to be that. And yet he was the complete opposite. And so for me, no matter what I've done, is to always remind myself about humility. And it's not about me.
0: As you're sharing that word humility, all I can think about is the word love. Yes. And that humility is born out of a heart to love people, isn't it?
1: It is. And we got to get the love thing right. <laughs> and I don't think we do. And it's one of the things I pray about, you know, is, you know, in our country today, I say we, if we could get the love thing right, it would be, we'd be in a different place.
0: Boy, that's true. How can people find out more about you and your book?
1: The book is Five Bold Choices. If they want to to look into me, you can go to Coughlin Consulting uh, and just have a website I'll give you a little background about me and what I'm doing. And, you know, between those those two, I think you can find out all you need to know about me or get in touch with me. Or if you have any questions, I'd feel free to, to talk to you about
0: them. That's great. Well, as we finish up here, Jay, I'd love for you to pray for our listeners, please.
1: Dear Lord, we want to uh, come together. Lord, we must want to ask you to allow us to have the awareness. The awareness of what's really going on in our lives. And awareness, Lord, to, to hold you up, to put you first, to prioritize you. Awareness, Lord, that the challenges we have are are also have choices, and those choices are to constantly look to you for guidance, look to you for strength, look to you for wisdom. Awareness, Lord, that that as we go through the day, how do we prioritize you? Lord, we just want to take this today, take all the words, take all the lessons, take the message, and just have this incorporated into our lives that we give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Jay. Honor having you on the program. Thanks so much for sharing your heart.
1: Awesome, Brian. Thanks for having me. Hey,
0: everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11.